time. And so, uh, since I have to quit on time, it's good for me to start on time. Oh, there he goes. my phone so it'll tell me what time it is. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Let's begin by singing that chorus, if they can put it up there for us, uh, 10,000 Reasons. Can we get that up there, Jason? Okay, well, we'll sing the chorus. We've sung that before. If we can't sing it all, that's all right. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, we'll worship his holy name. Let us pray. Father, we are so delightful, delighted to come into your presence this morning. We thank you for the prayer meeting with which the day began, and for all of us, Father, we've no doubt approached you in prayer already and drawn near to you. We thank you for the sacred space where we can draw aside from the world to come together as the people of God around the things of God. Thank you for your word that we'll be studying this morning. Now, Lord, open it to our hearts. May all, everything that I say and all that we think and discuss together, be pleasing in your sight. May we draw near to you and go out strengthened to serve you, to worship you, and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, um, this, it's, it's um, the Bible, I'm, I'm glad the days have worked out like this, that this is the Bible study for today. I hadn't planned it, hadn't thought about it this way, but today's Bible study is a very good Bible study to do the day before missions day. So it will fit in very well with that. And so I want to just take a second to tell you what Rosa and I are going to be doing next year. You know, I retired about a year ago. And so we have a, uh, a daughter and her son, son-in-law and three grandchildren in a Central Asian Republic. It used to be a Soviet uh, uh, Republic. If you want to know privately, I'll tell you its name, but I'm not going to say it from the pulpit. But um, uh, we're going to be there... Um, we're leaving September 3rd, and we'll be there almost nine months, coming back May 21st. We've actually officially been appointed as short-term volunteers. So we started out as missionaries in Sierra Leone. We're kind of ending up as missionaries again someplace else. But um, we're excited about that. She's going to be working in the international school. I'm going to be helping develop a training center, a train, not center, but a training program for house church leaders. Uh, I, I am really going to be doing that. But I told my daughter, I don't want you to make me too busy over there. My son-in-law is going to be the, my boss because he's the team leader. He likes that. Um, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, uh, I said, I don't want you to make me too busy because I'm planning on spending time with my grandkids. So, you know, just in case anybody had any question about that. But uh, in the back will be, we have these little prayer cards, um, business card size. And, and if you don't feel obligated to pick one up at all, but if you would be interested in praying for us while we're gone. We'd be, be happy for you to pick one up. And I'm going to put a few with our daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren back there just so you, you can see those with whom we are, we are working. And there, there is a, a book back there with them if you would like. We're not going to send, I'm not promising, we're not going to send out these nine-month snail mail letters. I'm sorry. But um, if you would like an, any email updates to keep in, in praying for us while we're there, we would appreciate your prayers and you can um, signed up back there. Be aware, I was part of the, the youth underground church thing last night. Had a lot of fun doing that. But be, be aware, this is, we will be very sensitive with the information we give because of where we are. Um, but uh, anyway, if you would like, we would be happy for you to do that. Feel under, under no obligation at all, but just make it available to you. Now, today's study um, in chapter 2, chapter 1 was the introduction, Paul's thanksgiving, and in his prayer 
for spiritual insight. But chapter two, Paul talks about um, what God has done in the life of the Ephesians. And one, verses one to 10, he talks about God took them from death to life. That fit naturally after chapter one because Paul ended chapter one talking in his prayer for spiritual insight that they might know the exceeding greatness of God's power, which he did in Christ Jesus by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand above all power and authority. And so that naturally moved into, you were dead and in Christ who has been risen, you have been made alive. Um, so that is, that's the first part. Now the second, beginning with chapter, with verse 11, which we're going to, we're going to approach today is, is you were aliens, but now you have become members of the household of God. It is from alienation to being, a, being family. That moves right into chapter three, where Paul describes the, index, the, the many splendored uh, wisdom of God and his great design for the, for the redemption of the world because that many splendored wisdom of God includes, I'm gonna use the word nations instead of Gentiles. It is a plural word in Greek, the nations. Um, that includes, but be aware that that also can be translated, and is usually translated, and in your, in your Bible's probably translated Gentiles that the nations are included with the Israel as the new people of God. And we are the nations, of course, but all these people that our missionary friends are going to and, and reaching out to, they are the nations. And so this lesson is about the nations. You see all the flags of the nations around here, the nations being included and brought in to the people of God. Are you with me? Alienation. We live in a world of rootlessness and of alienation. We move all over the place, our families are scattered, we're torn up from where we were born and where we grew up, and often we feel rootless and, and um, sort of wandering around in, in the world. We live in, in a whole society that's characterized by alienation, partly because we've become so self-centered, it's all about you. But when it's all about you, that doesn't build community. It destroys it. As far as, and of course, there's the sinfulness that destroys community. And so we try to find a connection. We, we go to, I like to eat at Cracker Barrel. We go to Cracker Barrel and try and find some connection with our history. Or we go on Ancestry.com. Yes, I can tell you, my, I've been there. I can tell you my, my percentage of my genetic makeup to try to make connections and find people and find roots. Paul begins this, and begins this section by talking about their former alienation, which was the most significant alienation of all. They were alienated from God and from his people. Let's begin in verse 11. Therefore remember that once, before you came to Christ, of course, you were the nations, the Gentiles. You were the nations in the flesh. Those who were called... Uncir those who were called uncircumcision by those who called themselves circumcision in the flesh, made by uh, circumcision in the flesh made by hand. Um, I'll stop right there for the moment. You were, you were separate, aliens from God and separate, you were separated from his people. Um, he begins with the very physical nature of it. You were the nations in the flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means in the flesh here is not talking about sinful flesh. In the flesh here is just talking about the flesh and, and how you were born, uh, our, their, their humanity. First of all, they were born on the wrong side of the tracks, spiritually speaking. They were born beyond the pale. They were born Gentiles, nations. Uh, they were not born part of the people of God. Um, and within the ancient world, the Jews probably made up maybe 10% of the population, but they were very prominent in all the big cities. Every, anybody in the large city, Alexandria, Egypt, um, uh, Antioch, Rome, was very familiar with, with, with the Jews and their special privileges and their special worship of God, and they were set apart. They didn't practice idolatry. Um, they had certain privileges from the government, and sometimes they were quite envied. There was often contention between the larger society and the Jewish 
uh, community. But you were, you were not them in the flesh. And you were not them because you were not circumcised. They, the mark of the Jew was, the, was every Jewish male, of course, was circumcision. Part of the mark of the old covenant performed on the eighth day after birth. If you were not circumcised, you were cut off from the people of God. And so that was, that was a distinct mark of the Jews. And although, of course, it didn't show most of the time, uh, it was well known um, that that set them apart. And so he, Paul, Paul begins very concretely. This is where you were. You were outside, they were inside. And these are the very concrete physical things. Now, he's already sort of hinting at their elementariness or the fact that they're going to be superseded because he, he emphasizes that circumcision. It's, he doesn't say only made with hands, but that's kind of the implication because there is a circumcision of the heart. He doesn't talk about that in this passage. But so there he begins. And so you were, so you were, are you with me? You were separated. Now, now what's the next thing he says? Remember you were, that at that time, in that, in that occasion, in that season of your life, in verse 12, you were what? Separated from Christ, you were without Christ. Can you imagine being without Christ? What an awful thing it would be. But even within this, gospel, uh, in this letter, remember what he's said already. Everything is in Christ Jesus. He's going to sum up the whole universe, things in heaven and things earth, in Christ Jesus. Your redemption has been through the blood of Jesus. He is the beloved in whom we have an inheritance, in whom we've believed, in whom we've been redeemed, um, and through whom now we're marked by the Holy Spirit. He's already told us all of this, and now he says, at that time, you were without Christ. You were a part of all that. You hadn't, you hadn't come to that fulfillment. Not only that, you're without Christ, but what's next? You were alienated from what? From the commonwealth of Israel. Now, you could say, why didn't he just say Israel? The commonwealth, um, it has the word, the, the word and the expression together here has the sense of the community of Israel. It was the commonwealth. It was, it, there is a, a political overtone to it, but it's much, you know, it, it has an overtone that that we don't, uh, we don't associate with politics so much in political words in our world today because it has the sense of community. You were, you were alienated from the community of the people of God. There was a real tension between them, actually. You know, you were the, they were here with their mark and keeping the ceremonial law and all of this, and you were there uh, cut off from the people of God. Um, you know, I've forgotten one thing. I'm always doing that. Forgetting one thing. Go back. Let me go back to verse 11 for a minute. Where it says, you are, you are those, you are, you are the Gentiles in the flesh. I didn't emphasize the fact you were called uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision. Paul is kind of sticking the knife in here a little bit. Because, you know, the inside groups have ways of speaking derogatorily of outside groups. You know what I mean? I won't even use, I would never use some of the language that has been used in our country for certain racial groups. It, would never, it will never come out of my mouth. But you know what I'm talking about. And that's kind of what is here. The word for uncircumcision is not really, uns, it, it, the, the two words are not related as they are in English. The word for uncircumcision really means the foreskins. And so it's like, it's a, it can be used derogatorily. Those Gentiles, those nations, they're the foreskins. But we are the ones who have been circumcised and are part of the people of God. It was a derogatory way. So Paul punches, sort of punches the alienation by taking the language of the insider and reflecting on it. This is, you were, you were, you were cut off and they didn't like you and they, they referred to you in derogatory ways. There was a real tension between you. Then he says, but remember at that time you were without Christ alienated from the, the community of the people of God and strangers to what? The covenants of promise, the whole Old Testament. 
You know, the whole Old Testament is longing for a fulfillment. It's in chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis, we have, we have humanity turning away from God, going its own way, refusing to follow God, and all of the dysfunction, to use our modern word, which kind of sanitizes it because it's really worse than dysfunction, but all of the dysfunction that res results in, in the human race. And then, but we are assured that God is not leaving that alone because in Genesis 12, we have his call of Abraham and his promise. The promise that, yes, it's a promise of a seed and a God, that he will be Abraham's God and that there will be a, a, a seed and he will give him, make him a great nation and give him the land of Canaan. But it's a promise ultimately defines its fulfillment and I will bless all the nations of the world through you. That promise is the engine that drives the Bible. That first covenant of promise, and you know, of course, it's enlarged in the covenant at Sinai. Then we have the God's promises to David um, uh, of perpetual kingship and establishing ultimately the establishment of God's rule in the world. God's promise then to Jeremiah, as the Old Testament is the, 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 the drama, the saga of the failure of the people of God, of their disobedience. God's promise to Jeremiah that he's going to bring a He's going to establish a new covenant which will change people's hearts. The words through Ezekiel that God's going to put his spirit within us and all of the other promises in the Old Testament. All of those look forward and long to a fulfillment in Christ. By the way, I'll just throw this in. I've had them here. I didn't bring any this year. I've had a, the last few years, a couple of times when I've been here, a book called Christian Faith in the Old Testament, the Bible of the Apostles. Uh, it, it was published in 2014. Uh, I figured I'd bought enough of them to sell, so I didn't bring any this year. But I will tell you, it's real cheap on Amazon right now. It must not be selling very well. It made it too cheap. But you can buy it in, in electronic format for $3.99. So I can't even bring hard copies and sell them for anywhere near that. <laughs> but I talk about all this in that, in, in that book, Christian Faith in the Old Testament, the Bible of the Apostles. But um, here, you, you, know, you were strangers to the covenant. You had no part in that. All of those promises of God, they were here and you were out here. You were strangers to the promises of God. And what's next? Having no hope. You know, there's, there's been a lot about hope so far in this book. You know, they've been asking me questions about hope up on the hill. But there's been a, we were, we were, one of the things Paul prayed that we would understand is that we would understand the hope of his calling in us, which went on to the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. From the questions up there, we talked a lot about this, and I mentioned it here, but, you know, um, Christian hope is not, I hope so. It's not, I hope it won't rain tomorrow, but it might. Christian hope is assured if we are faithful in Christ Jesus, that is a certain hope that is ours. It is the blessings we have now, but it is also the, the inheritance of eternity and of the new heaven and the new earth. It is assured. And you know, it's very hard to live without hope. You can go through all sorts of troubles if there's hope. Um, but here, so... Paul has already talked about, wants them to know the hope of their calling and all the blessings that are there. But then, when you were cut off from the people of God and aliens, you were without hope. Oh. The, the very words, I, I shudder at the very words, and the, but not quite as much as I do at the next words. Without God in the world. The, the words are really interesting because the, the word in the original is, kind of, is like our word atheist. It's your atheoi. You're without God in the cosmos. Can you imagine it? Of course, that's the way, in a deeper sense, a lot of our contemporaries who've, who have turned away from belief in God, the new atheists and so forth, that's what they are. They are without God in the cosmos, in the universe. They claim themselves to be. But let's go out and look at this vast cosmos, this vast universe. Galaxy upon galaxy, we can't see them at night, and all that's around us, and think of being estranged in this universe without God. No hope, and without God in the world. That was what your situation was, your alienation was. That's what our alien, we're historically a little bit different. We were never, gen, you know, because Christ has been here all of our lives. I mean, Christ did his work long before we were born. 
But that's what we were and that's what people are apart from Christ. It's no wonder they're running around trying to fill their lives with something, trying to find some connection, trying to find some joy, trying to numb it, to numb the, 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 the um, emptiness and the painfulness and the frightfulness of life by all sorts of addictions from drugs to food to sex to alcohol to, to escape the, the deep sense of alienation, of meaninglessness, and of loss. But let me just tell you something. All those ways are the wrong way. None of them work. They numb the feeling for a little bit, but there's nothing. There's nothing there. That's one reason why they often end, or sometimes they end in suicide. Because when you finally wake up and you can't numb it anymore, life is too horrible. The emptiness and alienation and loneliness and cut off of life is too horrible to look at. But you know, in the last passage, we had those famous words, those words at the center of it. But God, what words come at the center of this passage? But now in Christ Jesus, no, you're not without Christ. You're not cut off with him. You're not separated from him. But now in Christ Jesus, let me get back here and look at the text myself. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once, this sentence is very compact. You who once were far away have become near in the blood of Christ. He's referring specifically to the nations, not to the Jews here to the nations. You, those are the, we, are, we are the people who were far away. Not simply geographically. We may be nearer the, or further geographically away, but we are the people who are far away. We were the nations. Those to whom, I, to whom our missionaries go are the nations. You were far away spiritually. You were cut off. I've shown you how alienated you were. You are far away. But now, through the blood of Jesus, you have been brought near the precious blood of Christ. We've already seen in the first section that it is through his blood that we have been, part of the blessings Paul enumerated is, through his blood we have been redeemed. We talked about the heavy price of redemption and that through his suffering, not only is the penalty for our sin paid, but he takes our suffering and our deformity upon himself. He redeems us to the very core through his blood. He redeems our sufferings. He redeems our, what we have suffered in abuse. He takes our own suffering upon himself, the sin and, and, the sin and death included upon the cross to redeem us. Through the precious blood of Christ, then, you have been redeemed. Um, and so we're here to the, to the uh, looking at the work of Christ on your outline. I'm just going on here, but now in Christ Jesus. Um, and the first statement, he says, but, um, let's see, for he is, in verse 14, for he is our peace. Do you remember how Paul greeted the Ephesians at the very beginning? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus Grace to you and peace. I told you we were going to hear a lot more about them. Well, we've been hearing about grace all up until now. All those, those um, that whole great thanksgiving at the beginning was all about the riches of the glory of his grace, to the praise of his, the glory of his grace, all of his grace that's been given us all these benefits in Christ. It's more than just God's favor. It's God's power, God's goodness at work for our salvation and our transportation not transportation, transformation. We haven't been transported to heaven yet. Our transformation in Christ Jesus. Um, we've, been, we've seen the marvel, Paul has called us, we've stepped back and marveled at that grace and wondered at the fact that it was totally according to the, the good pleasure of his will that he's just done this because this is who he is and he wanted to do it. Not for any goodness on our part or any way in which we earned it. Here it is, and he's done it for us. He's given it to us. We've been, we've been, our mind has already been boggled by the grace, but grace produces peace. And Christ himself is our peace. Now, we, we shortchange this word all the time. Um, 
by making it mean way too little. It's possible to overinterpret Scripture, but sometimes we can shortchange things. This is not simply referring to a peaceful attitude. It is, it is a big word. It's in, it's, it takes on the significance of the, of the Old Testament word for peace. You've probably heard it because it's a common shalom. Um, it, it embodies what the Old Testament means by peace here in Christ. And, and that is, it is a sense, it is a wholeness of well-being in, in the community of the people of God. It is that full reconciliation that Christ brings between brother and sister and brother and sister, between Jew and Gentile, between his people, and between them and God. So that all is right. All is well. Because we have been reconciled and brought into intimate fellowship with the living God and reconciled and brought together as one another. Now that includes, of course, that will include rest and peace within our hearts and souls. But that is, that's what, he is our peace. Through the grace of God, he is the one that brings us into harmony and fellowship and obedience with the Father, as we will see as we unpack this passage, the, the, and, and, and unity with one another. Now, Christ does that for us. It doesn't mean we don't have to work at keeping it. I often chuckle, well, it's not chuckle because it's kind of sad, but you'll hear people in holiness circles talk about pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But that, that verse is cut short because the full verse is pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Christ provides our holiness. He sanctifies. He makes us holy. And that holiness is to produce peace within the community. He gives it to us but you and I have to pursue it. We have to be diligent to keep it. Now, I'm not going to get into that yet because that's chapter 4. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pick up on, on how that, that works out in chapter 4. But the peace and wholeness, God expects us to live in that. And by the way we, we worship Him and treat, and treat our, it's to be a diligent concern of ours that we pursue that. And we haven't done a very good job of that often in our church bickerings and fights and divisions. But anyway, like I say, that's, let me save that because it's quite clearly there in chapter 4. For he, our peace, what has he done? He's made both one, that is, here it's referring to Jew and Gentile, and there are implications for racial reconciliation here, but the, that's not really the main thrust of the passage. It is, you Gentiles are now part of the people of God. There's not a Jew. The Jews here, yes, they're the, they were the people of God. They're the people of God from the Old Testament. No question about it. Paul's not denying that. That's true. But now you have been included with them in the people of God. So he's made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition that divided them. Of course, this immediately brings up the temple. And uh, uh, Brother Paul here was referring to that last night. And there is the court of the Gentiles, and you've heard in 1870, I think, one, they actually found one of these signs that was over a gate there, though Josephus tells us about them, that, you know, no Gentile, nobody from the nations is to go beyond here, and if you do, your death's on your own, you know, your death is, is, not, your death is not our responsibility, because you'll be put to death. So there was that wall, even for God-fearing Gentiles, if they had not converted to Judaism, they could not approach any closer than that. Paul says, so that imagery comes into play here. He's broken down the middle wall of partition that's divided us. And having destroyed, and the enmity in his flesh, he's gotten rid of the enmity between Jew and Gentile, the hostility. There's no more calling you the foreskins and we're the people of God. We're the ins and you're the outs. No, you now have been brought into the people of God, the enmity destroyed in his flesh. I like the variety, of, well, it doesn't matter whether I like them or not, but I do. The variety of words that Paul uses here, in his flesh. This, of course, is not sinful flesh. Paul hasn't used that, the flesh in the sense of its, of, of its being the sinful bent against God in, in these verses at all. This is in Christ's incarnate flesh. There was a difference in the flesh, that mark of circumcision that separated us. 
But Christ took all that away by coming a human being and entering into our, our humanity, taking on the real flesh, becoming a real human being. And as I mentioned the other day, I, the church father Irenaeus, I love his statement. What he did not assume, he could not redeem. But he assumed our flesh, and he became a real human being. He took on our broken humanity to destroy the enmity, to destroy what separated us from the people of God and from God. So he destroyed it in his flesh. Paul goes on describing the work of Christ here and how he did it. Um, um, the law of commandments in ordinance, having, having abolished, set aside, annulled the law of commandments in ordinances. Um, in or, well, let me go ahead. In order that um, he, might, he might create the two into, for, in himself into one new person making peace. Now, abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. Don't be deceived. The moral law of the Old Testament still stands. Absolutely stands in Christ. He has reinforced it. We are called to obey. The, 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 the privilege, not only say the requirement, the privilege of obedience is integral to being part of the people of God. But the whole old system that separated us from God has been abolished. You know, in the old, we, we just talked about the, the wall that kept the Gentiles out. But there was the whole system. You know, only the priest could go into the most holy place. And only the high priest once a year. Only the priest into the holy place. And then there, as you said last night, there was a court of Israel and a court for the women and a court of the Gentiles where a, a uncircumcised could go. Um, that, of course, was a new thing. That wasn't, the court of the Gentiles wasn't in the, the tabernacle as it was first built in, in the Old Testament. Um, but, you know, all of this, all of this emphasized the holiness of God and his inapproachability. Even the people of God, they could not live without his presence. To live in the promised land, the, what made it so significant was you were living in the presence of God. It was where God chose to dwell with his people. The Bible from the beginning has been about living in the presence of God, about God bringing us into fellowship with himself as a new people, that, a fellowship that satisfies the depths of the human heart. The whole Bible is about that. They couldn't live without God. You know, at, at, um, when, when uh, um, God told uh, Moses, I'm not going to go with you because of your disobedience. I'm just sending my angel. Even, even the people got sense knocked in and they all sat down and said, God, if you don't go with us, we're not moving. We're not going anywhere. Forget it. Because it's your presence that makes the difference. But in the Old Testament, there was that separation because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of the people. That's now, that is all abolished because by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he fulfilled everything that those sacrifices looked forward to. And now all of those ritual acts of cleanliness, all those ritual laws that you couldn't touch this and you couldn't touch that and so forth, which are there as an object lesson of purity, they've done their work. They've shown us, they've done their work to emphasize what is true and real godliness and purity of heart and of life. So Christ has done away with all that by fulfilling, by fulfilling that through his sacrifice the law of commandments and all of those ordinances that they, they had to follow. Um, and that was so that he could make Jew and Gentile bring all people together in one new person. You know, get the picture. Here's a Jew in, the old, in, in Paul's time. Here are the people, the normal people of the nations. He's going to be dressed differently. He's, I mean, with, with particular... And there's, there's just going to be a whole lot of visual difference between the two. But now Paul is making them one new man. Now that new man is going to be different than the unsaved man out there. But one new person reconciled together in wholeness, in Christ. Not just two people who are in fellowship, but one new person in Christ. Um, so making peace. Ah, that word again. Bringing wholeness of community. And, and we'll see how that's also wholeness of community and fellowship with God. And reconciled both of them in one body to God through the cross. Now, we, now it makes it clear this reconciliation is not just Jews and Gentiles together in one body. 
but it's in the body of the community of the people of God. He's reconciled them in one body to God through his cross, through his death, again, having destroyed the enmity by it, by his cross. Oh, wondrous cross. You know, a little bit of my old stodginess, the, 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 uh, when I survey the wondrous cross, it's one of my two or three favorite hymns. And you know, they added this chorus to it, O Wondrous Cross. And when I first heard it in a little bit of my stodginess, I said, what are they messing with my hymn with? And then my next thought was, you idiot. They're saying, O Wondrous Cross. Isn't it a wondrous cross? But isn't what they're saying most gloriously true? The wondrous cross of Christ, his own death by which he took our sin and suffering upon himself and, and, and abolished and brought us into the, took away all the enmity, made us part of the people of God and reconciled us to God himself in one body. What is that body? The, the body of Christ, yes. It is the body of Christ. We are joined in the body of Christ. Not in some, it's not just, some body out there that we're all part of, but we are not united to him in the body of Christ. Um, and coming then, come Jesus coming, of course this has to do with his apostles following him who did this, but preached peace, announced peace to you who are afar off. He says you here, but the you here is we, is us. It's you and me, because it's referring to the nations to the Gentiles, to the nation. Preach peace, preach this reconciliation, this wholeness, this offer of reconciliation is the, in the people of God, of, of shalom, of well-being in the people of God and reconciled to God. Pre announce that peace to the Gentiles who are far off and also to you Jews who are near. So it's for all of us. He announced that peace. It's, it's, a, it's a universal announcement. Praise God. When you go to Taiwan, you can look at anybody and say, and offer them Christ, because the offer is for all of them. You can proclaim the gospel and with the assurance that if people will respond, it is for them. You don't have to worry about, is it for you or not, uh-uh. We're told here, peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Um, for through him, not quite to the, yeah, make a, um, a little bit of the benefits of Christ here on, the, on that outline. For through him, we have access, both of us, both Jew and Gentile, all in one spirit to the Father. Friends, we're back now. We started in Ephesians. He gave us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're back to the heavenly places. We have access to the Father, in the, to the heavenly Father in one spirit, in the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, Paul will come back and talk about one body and one spirit. Um, that's part of the beginning of that chapter. But here, so we're not only reconciled together in the body of Christ and joined to God that way, but we have access. You know, you go to some places there's limited access. There's some places you and I can't get in. When Rosa worked for hospice, she had a card that would get her in the door. I didn't. You know, because I didn't, I wasn't authorized. I didn't have access. <laughs> Through Christ, we have access to the only place that matters to have access to. You have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, right to God the Father. <laughs> Who cares if you can get into the Oval Office? Who cares if you can go to number one Downing Street? Who cares if you can get into the Kremlin or any other place? Or whatever place you'd most like to get into, who cares? It doesn't matter. You're authorized personnel through Christ. You have access through in one spirit to the Father. Uh-oh, my phone's going off. Now he begins to enumerate those in a sense are benefits, but he begins to further enumerate the benefits that are ours in Christ. Therefore then, I, told, I started out with you being strangers, and foreigners, and alienated. 
Therefore then, because of this what's come, you are no longer strangers and sojourners. Um, you could almost translate that second word homeless. Because in a sense, I, I really, in one time, I was thinking of starting out with that idea of homelessness. Because in a sense, when we're alienated from God, without God in the cosmos, we are homeless. You are no longer strangers to all the things of God. And you are no longer people who truly have no home, who are wandering around looking for it. But what have you become? But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, fellow citizens is, is a legitimate translation here, but it doesn't carry all of the nuance. Because when I say fellow citizen, I really don't get a sense of community. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm one person who belongs to this country. But in and of itself, that doesn't speak to me community. In the ancient world, this word implies community. It's, you know, if you get the image, if you look, one way to get the image, this is not the only way, but in the Greek city-state, um, you know, it was relatively small, by our, certainly by our standards, but all of life, you were a, to be a citizen meant you participated in the full life of that city. And that's what made everything meaningful. For any noble Roman, to be exiled was virtually worse than death. The great Roman orator Cicero himself could have fled Rome and saved his life, but he didn't. He stayed there and died because to be exiled from Rome was to have no life at all. It was worse than death. So, and, but this word has, has the a sense of participation. You're uh, fellow citizens with the saints of community, of participating together with them, of that bond of unity. You, you now have a people. You, 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 you are part, you are accepted, you are loved. You know, one great thing about Camp Syker is, frankly, Camp Syker loves people. You know, I've come here for a number of years now, but I was never in the youth group, and I can't remember a lot of the old people that, you, that some of you remember. But I know one thing. From the first time I came here, you loved me. There was a sense of, of embracement. Well, here, for the whole community of the people of God, you then are part of the community of the saints. But the second one is almost better yet. Members of the household of God, that sounds a little sterile to me. And the word is really, it's really more intimate than that. You're God's family members. You're part of the domestic scene in the house of God. You know, when you're family, you don't have to clean up before you come over for dinner. You know, you, that's, that's the kind of intimacy we have. I, I tend to la I laugh, you know, when my, my son-in-law, who's the one's going to be my boss, but he and his, he and, well, I guess he already is since I'm already signed up. But anyway, um, far enough away, he can't do anything yet. But, <laughs> but um, um, when they first got married, they were both seminary students. And I have a, had a little fridge in my office. And... Um, you know, as far as class went, I treated them absolutely like any other student. If anything, I would grade them, I probably would grade them a little harder because I didn't want to be, suspect any, any suspicion of any kind of favoritism. You know, we got to keep it just on the level. But in other ways, they had privileges other students didn't have. I mean, my daughter walked in my office and got a drink out of that fridge anytime she wanted to. She didn't have to knock, she didn't have to have, well, if somebody was in there talking to me, she wasn't going to interrupt it, but, you know, she, and uh, I told my son-in-law he could do it too. Well, to start with, he didn't. He would send her to get him a drink. <laughs> but finally, he came to the place where he was comfortable to do it too. He realized he was a member of the household of God. And the, the rule when any of the kids come home is, if there's anything in the fridge you want to eat or drink, it's okay, just so you don't eat what Grammy, grandma is cooking for, Grammy is cooking for supper tonight now. Don't go eating that. Other, other than that, there's, you know, you're a member of the household. You're, you're at home here. You're at home in God's house. You can enjoy it. You're, we're not going to be unholy. I don't mean that. But there's that sense of homeness and relaxation and freedom. You're members, so you're no longer 
you're no longer aliens. You are part of the community. You're no longer homeless. You are actually part of God's own household, of his people, of his family. That's the benefits that we have. Um, and you then are, 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 have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. No question the foundation of this our salvation faith. It is the apostolic witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, backed up by the, the prophets maybe of the Old Testament, but also the prophets in the early church. They were the ones, we, were, we talked about this in the first day, the apostles are those especially chosen by Christ and appointed to be his witnesses, to communicate the truth about him and the gospel. There, are no, there have been no apostles since the first century because they had to be witnesses to Christ. The gospel is built on the firm historical basis of what God did in Christ, his death, including his death and resurrection. And so it, they had to be people who could bear witness to that, but it was more than just people who could say it happened. It was people whom Christ, to whom Christ had revealed what it meant. And they were his witness. We're built, there, there is no other foundation for the Christian faith. I'm sorry. You can't just include everybody and you bring your experience and me bring mine and you bring your belief and you bring mine and come on and we'll all be part of the people of God. No, no, no. There's one foundation. The foundation of the apostles and the foundation of Christ said elsewhere, but of the apostles and prophets of the witness to Christ that we have here in the word of God. That's the foundation. There isn't any other. Built on that, but it's a firm foundation because the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. We've already seen that. I mean, everything is, all of God's purposes are fulfilled in Christ, through the blood of Christ, through the death of Christ, through the resurrection, ascension of Christ, his session. We've already seen that. So the witness of the apostles is really about Christ. As I said, the first day apostolic authority is really Jesus' authority. He appointed them and sent them. So they come with that authority. We have a firm foundation for all of this. It's not think so, hope so, wish so. There's a, a guy who interpreted for me when I was in the, I almost said the name of the country, the country where my children are. Um, he's the best interpreter I've ever had. He was actually Ukrainian. But he said to me, he said, you know, when my uncle died, a Bible came to our house. He had had a Bible. And when I first read it, I wished it were true. And then he discovered that it was. It was true. It's a firm foundation for us in the Lord Jesus, in the apostles. Um, you're built on that foundation of the apostles and prophets. Of course, Jesus Christ himself being the firmest cornerstone that ever could have been laid. You know, in Mississippi, we have what's called Yazoo clay. And you can't, you know, it expands and shrinks up to 40% with precipitation with water. You can imagine what kind of problems we have with foundations. Rosa and I, we have a, the house, the foundation was built way above code, but we had to spend $20,000 on foundation work. Fortunately, we got a lifetime guarantee for the house with that, but you know, because of, of the trembling of foundations and you will see buildings cracked and walls cracked and all that kind of stuff. There's no Yazoo clay that affects this foundation because it's founded on the cornerstone on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is solid. You can bank on it. You can, uh, yeah, you can go to the bank with your money on it. You know it is going to, it's going to be there. Jesus Christ himself being the, the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fit together. I kind of skip over this word sometime, but then I'm thinking my wife likes to put puzzles together. I usually come along and put three pieces in so I can say I helped. Um, but uh, she just finished a thousand piece puzzle with help of several other people besides me, my help. Actually, I think I bid about 10 in that one. That's, you know, 10 out of a thousand, what is that, uh, 1%. Um, but, um, you know, you can also think of a craftsman putting together. I saw a grandfather clock that a person owns in Ridgeland, Mississippi, or maybe it's Madison, Mississippi. They're, that I, I think was from the 1700s. It has all its original parts and it keeps perfect time. You know, the craftsman put those pieces together with care. 
the Lord is built. We are being built. There are rough edges on us. He's having to knock them off. And sometimes the way he knocks them off is he puts us together. You know, you may, he may be using you to knock some rough edges off of me. But I have no doubt that he's used me to knock some rough edges off of other people. Because, I, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, he's fitting us. We're being fit together in, in which we grow into um, a holy temple in, in the Lord. And in whom... Paul wants to make sure they know they're included, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now we move from one spirit, one body and one spirit to, one, to temple language. Let's see if I got enough time for this. Well, it's time up. But, I, I want, um, but these images all come together. Um, I, I think since it's actually time for me to quit, I will, I will make this last little bit. I'll, use it, I'll start it tomorrow morning, tell you how all these come together. Because we've got the, the, the meat of this lesson. The wonderful reconciliation of God in, uh, to God in Christ. Where we're brought together as the people of God and united to God in wholeness. Now, in chapter 4, um, we're going to bank on this. Paul is going to bring out the absolute practical day-to-day -day applications of this, how this works out in your life, how you're supposed to live, and your calling and meekness and, and uh, long-suffering, putting up with one another in the unity of the body of Christ. He's going to talk, we'll, but we will we'll talk about that there. Thanks. Is, is there any, anybody have a, just a burning question? I could take that. Ah, oh, it's Wednesday. I'm sorry by saying tomorrow. No, but come tomorrow. Missionary Day is an important day. I'm all supporter of, 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 of Missions Day. Don't, don't. Uh, um, you you want to hear from our missionaries and 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 support them, and uh, it's a it's a hot for me. Missions Day is a highlight of camp. So, it's a. a, a let's pray. Father, we thank you for your most holy word. We thank you most of all that we are no longer alienated from you and from the people of God, but that we are part of a community and have a home in reconciliation with the people of God and most of all in reconciliation with you and fellowship with you and love with you, and that we are being built up on this foundation, that we are already being built as a dwelling place for you through the Spirit, that we have access through the Spirit to the Father as part of the body of Christ. Help us to live with one another as the people of God. Lord, I want you to ask you to bless this service that's coming. Bless my brother Paul as he, as he breaks to us the word of life and open hearts to hear that word. Bless those who lead us in the music and sing. And I pray also for the service up on the hill. In Jesus' name, amen.